again and welcome to the seventh episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. So I think today's episode is really interesting because I speak to Lawrence Staley, who is the Managing Director of Infolio Property Advisors. And during the interview, Lauren shares some of her experiences, particularly about being a young leader and some of the challenges she faced along from that perspective. And secondly, she also talks about the importance of understanding who you are as a leader and really looking to develop your own methodologies, being careful who you listen to and what she's currently doing to grow her business and lead her team. So happy listening and look, once again, love it if you would be able to go over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. So happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, welcome, Lauren, and uh, thank you for being part of the uh, Synergen Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. So that everyone has a bit of context about you and uh, Infolio, can you just share a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing right now, please? Sure thing. I've been in property or real estate for the last 18 years. So essentially, as soon as I left school, I started working for A.V. Jennings in House and Land and then hated it and got a job as a cadet property manager for Thompson Real Estate in Murrumbina. And that's where I essentially cut my teeth. I worked with them for about eight or so years, moved across to Jealous Craig in Hawthorne. I worked in sales. I worked in property management. And then essentially during the GFC decided it would be a good idea to (laughs) open a property advisory firm and designed a business that worked for the buyer rather than the seller, focusing on property advisory, specialising in the residential, established residential property market in in the affluent suburbs of Melbourne with a property management arm. Um, and a buyer's advocacy arm. Great. So I want to take you all the way back Mm -hmm. to your very first leadership role. My very first leadership role would have been at Jealous Craig. I had worked with them for a number of years looking after a a corporate portfolio. So it was sort of high-end properties. Um, A lot of them were expats. And they decided that it was during the time when Jealous Craig was sort of getting bigger. So they weren't franchising yet, so they were all privately owned offices. And they wanted to open an office in Glen Iris and they needed um, someone to go across there to help them set up and essentially start the property management side of the business from scratch. So at the time I was still looking after a portfolio at Hawthorne of around 200 properties and then I set up the um, Glen Iris office with the directors over there that was my first um, leadership role because I had to learn from scratch. It was, you know, I was hiring people to work with me. I was setting up the infrastructure. I was working out the systems and procedures and dealing with all aspects of the property management division on my own. Okay, sure. Mm. So I'd like to dig in a little bit mm-hmm. deeper on that. So what do you think some of the mistakes were that you made in your very first role? Oh, nearly everything. I mean, I didn't, I'd never worked in any sort of leadership role. I I was really still quite young. Prior to that, I was working in sales. So you're essentially a business within a business when you're working in real estate, residential sales. 
but I'd never I'd never worked in a role like this. So my time management was really a, a huge battle. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a plan. Um, I kind of went in there and, and winged it, and I and whether that was the people who were leading me, their mistake because I wasn't given the I suppose framework to work within, or whether it was I should have used more resources to to gather that. But essentially, it was a mistake because I was like a pendulum swinging from side to side. I didn't really know what I needed to do. So I was always just catching my breath and catching up with things rather than really planning. I was just keeping up with what I needed to do. Okay, okay. And what about some of the successes you had in that role? Well, the successes were, I mean, in real estate, they're really easy to see. So I was growing the property management division. So we grew to about 100 properties within the first 12 months, which is quite strong. They were good properties on good fees. We were able to put on another property manager um, whom I employed and hired myself and she ended up being a great asset for the business and is still there to this day. So those were some of the the better parts of what I was doing over there. And your biggest learnings from the role? To have a business plan. Yeah, like to have a really strong business plan and, and implement it and follow it and review it regularly. Okay. Mm. And would you say it was during this role that you decided this whole idea of leadership was for you? No, I fell into it. I never, I never looked at leadership and thought that was something that was for me. In fact, I quite liked work, <laughs> working for other people and I enjoyed being employed, but, but I am a bit of a know-it-all and if I, if I believe in something and I've got a view on it, I like to be able to carry it from A to Z and you can't always do that when you're working for other people. So I like to see something grow and hatch and breathe. But I didn't I didn't decide that I wanted to be a leader as a result of that. I, I just decided that I wanted to do my own thing. And then by doing my own thing, that meant that I had to be a leader. And uh, what impacts do you think you had on the people there that reported to you? Uh, look, to be honest, very little, Julian. I think most of it happened later when I started in Folio. I mean... Whilst that was my first leadership role, it was it was really just dipping my toe. The major experience that I've had in being a leader in my working life was when you know, when I started in Folio Property Advisors ten years ago. Yeah. Because before then, it w- I was too young, and I mean the things the things that I suppose that I did learn was that you need to be respectful and kind to each other, and I think that that would have left an imprint on the people that I was working with. But it certainly. I don't think I can say that there was a huge amount that I took from that time and implemented into, you know, 10 years of running a business. Okay. And so how long were you in that role? Maybe three years. Three years. And, yeah. and then you left? And then I left and started in Folio. All right. Yeah. So, so let's talk about in Folio yeah. a little bit more yeah. in detail. So maybe give the, the listeners some uh, yeah. some more detail about what Infolio does. Okay. So we, we have two target markets and we have two sides to the business. One side of the business is property management and is a very important part of the business. It's what keeps us operating. So in any sort of sales role or any market role, you have ebbs and flows, highs and lows. Property management is the reoccurring income of the company and it is also the saleable asset of the business. So we have grown our property management side of the company from organically from zero to about 550 properties with absolutely no debt against it. And then we've got the advocacy side of the business, which from a business perspective is really the profits. 
So everything that we do when engaged to buy for a client produces profits for the company because we're neutrally geared from the other aspect. Property management, we essentially look after, so if we buy someone an investment property, we will typically manage it. Otherwise, we sort of look after those, a radius of the CBD no further than about 18 kilometres out of the CBD and up to those areas, we, we typically look after them. We are hugely skewed to the Bayside and Southeast just by virtue of where we're geographically located in South Melbourne. From a buyer's advocacy side of the business, we look after two target markets, investors and owner-occupiers. With the investors, we follow a strict capital growth business model. So we only buy established real estate and we have a very strict model on what we would buy for our clients. So we don't buy anything new. We don't buy anything off the plan. Um, we don't buy anything in – we really don't buy apartments, period, anymore, unless they're art decos. Um, but if we were buying an apartment, it would be – maximum size of the block it would be would be 12, um, and they would have to be typically bought between built between the 1960s – 1930s to early 1980s. So we've got a very strict model of what we look for when we're buying investment properties, and that's because we're looking for historical growth patterns and we're looking for long-term growth for our clients. And then when we're buying for owner-occupiers, um, well, we buy them what they want, um, essentially. So a client will come to us with a brief of what they're looking to secure, and then we find those properties for them. I mean, there's a lot more to it. That's kind of a really crude simplified version of, of how we <laughs> how we operate. Sure. Mm. Okay, so you leave Jels Craig, mm -hmm. you start your own business, mm -hmm. you've been in a leadership role three years at Jels mm -hmm. Craig. Do you think that those leadership experience helped you? No, you not really. The no. The only thing I can say that really I know it's probably just sounds a bit silly, but the only thing I can really say that helped me was that I was dealing in a very male centric environment. So I learnt how to deal with some huge egos and it gave me the ability to kind of, I suppose it taught me how to handle myself in different environments, how to speak to people, how to gain respect and, and, and to essentially not think that you're something that I'm not. But that was the main thing. I didn't really learn a hell of a lot because I wasn't my business and although I was starting it up and I was learning how to... Um, I suppose, do things. It was a small section within a big company. So I I don't feel like I took a huge amount from that. I had great leaders within the company that I learnt stuff from, but I personally didn't do anything that I think was that substantial that I brought across. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your general views on leadership mm -hmm. now that you've been a, a leader for 10 years in your own yep. business. So how would you describe yourself as a leader right now? I'm firm but fair. Um, I have an open door policy so that even though, um, unless I'm prospecting, <laughs> people can come in and talk to me about anything at any time. I believe in absolute transparency. So everyone always knows how they stand with me all the time. But firm but fair, and that's how I, that was what I, my best employer was Loretta Truscott at Jealous Craig, and that was her exact approach, and that's what I've implemented in my way of running the business here. Okay. So you, do you think you made a conscious decision to Made a conscious that? decision, yeah. She managed that way, and I think it was the best. I always remember her sort of saying to me that no matter what it is that you've done, if you've done something, own up to it because we can fix it. And also don't come to me with the problem, come to me with the solution. And so with all of the people that I work with, I always say to them, if there's a problem, don't just sit at my desk or send me an email with the problem. Sit down, 
tell me what the problem is and then give me the solution that you've created. That solution may not be right, but at least you've thought about it and you're not dumping and you learn from that. And so I use that in everything that I do in the way that I operate as a manager and a leader within the business. And I do it myself. I wouldn't ever ask anyone to do anything I wouldn't do myself personally. I might have passed those roles, <laughs> but I've done them. Yeah. yeah. And, and how many people in the Infolio team? We've got 14. 14? In total, yeah. Okay, and that's across the property managers? Across the, the property agency. management and buyers agency, yeah, and administrative staff as well. Okay, great. And what would you think are some of the positive leadership traits that you display? I think that every, rot starts from the top. So having a good disposition and being kind and open and thoughtful to the people that you're working with is really important. I think you need to be strong and you need to be able to make a decision. I think we see more and more often now that people can sit in leadership roles and they cannot bloody well make a decision about anything. They push papers around and they won't call it. I call it and I can call it quickly and I think that's extraordinarily important when you're running a business. Absolutely. And uh, do you think those sort of traits allow you to get the best out of your team? I think that they do, yeah. I don't think that anyone wants to work with someone who's a fence-sitter because there's nothing strong about that. And no one would ever say that I'm grey, I'm black and white. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's important and I think it's teaching the people in the office that they can make a decision as well. Whether it be right or wrong, they can make a decision and that helps them grow. And are there any particular methodologies, frameworks, models that you're you're a fan of in terms of how you approach leadership or...? No, look, not really. To be honest, what I've done is I've learnt most things by baptism by fire. I've been thrown into it and I've just had to kind of work it all out. What I did do was consult in a number of people that I thought were the best. So in real estate and also my father because of his practice in business. And I made a conscious decision to only focus on a number of opinions because otherwise everyone can tell you what you should do and how you should do it. And I found that once, you know, people talk about SWOT analysis and all sorts of different things that you can do. I think you've got you've got to in many ways work out yourself your own methodologies. Because otherwise, if it's too contrived or if it's too, you won't do it. It's like, any, I mean, at the moment, I'm doing time analyzers and, you know, tracking all of my performance on a weekly. And it's so bloody hard to do because you've got to create patterns and, you know, repetition. And it takes months and months and months and months to be able to get it right, to be able to get the data that you need. And I think that's the same thing. You've really got to, when you're running a business and leading, you've, you've got to start thinking about the, the things that work for you and seek the advice in the appropriate areas that are going to help you. My beliefs have have a business plan, have a plan for everyone else and constantly um, implement that and regularly update it. But I don't particularly use anything that's been passed down. I am reading a bit at the moment about um, I've recently joined a group called EO, which is the Entrepreneurs' Organisation, and they work on the Gestalt method and I'm just starting to learn a little bit about that and it'll be interesting to see whether I apply any of that. But I had to get myself into a place where I was ready to take on this kind of advice and information. Okay. It's taken me 10 years. 10 years, okay. <laughs> and can you share any more about this Gestalt method? You're actually not allowed You're actually not allowed to. EO is wow. about complete and utter silence. You're not allowed, unless you're in the EO group, you are not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to share anything that it's about. So sure. okay. I've just given you a little snippet, which okay. isn't really fair, but yeah, it's about complete and utter secrecy and privacy. So okay. you're not allowed to share it. But it, um, 
there is a book that you can get that teaches you a little bit about it. I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but I'll I'll flick it over to you so you can sure. can get a read. I'm intrigued now. Yeah. And so what would you say your biggest leadership challenge is right now? Staff, dealing with staff issues. It is the hardest part of running a business. It's the part I like the least. I think we're in a market, we're in a time at the moment where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, Gen Ys, you know, like it's really hard keeping everyone happy and the expectations, you know, we have people who've worked with us for six months and suddenly they think they're going to be a partner. You know, people don't get runs on the board and they're expecting things that are beyond them. We're a small business, so if people want to work for us, they've really got to want to work there for the right reasons because it's not like there's going to be huge amounts of ability to push them up through the ranks unless they're really shining. But staff is my the biggest and hardest and most difficult part of what we do and it's I'm constantly having to learn different ways to deal with, with people. And the 14 all report directly to you? All report directly to me, yeah. Okay. That's a challenging number. It's a challenging number. So we have a system set up in our office where I do one-on-ones with all of the property managers once a fortnight. I do annual reviews with the staff every 12 months. And I have a weekly one-on-one with the sales team. But problems within the office have to go to someone before they come to me, so that before they're accelerated to my point. But most of the time what we've found, because we are a small office, is that even if we put other people in the position where they can be, you know, the office manager or whatever it is that they deal with those things, they still want to come to me. And creating a two-step process isn't necessarily conducive to a happy environment because then people feel like they're fighting to have a conversation with me about things that are important. So it is something that we're looking at because, to be quite honest, I mean, I had a month last month where I felt like I spent way too much time just dealing with staff and issues. I'm from a a bit old school. I was in an environment where I was happy to have a job and I kept my personal life personal (laughs) and I still do. But people are different now. They're built differently. Mm. Okay. And how do you define your success as a leader? That I'm still in business. (laughs) (laughs) It's honestly, the first five years were the hardest years of my life, the hardest years of my life. You know, people, you know, see a nice office and nice things and think that it was easy, but I fought so bloody hard to stay with my head above water and nearly drowned on several occasions the fact that I'm still in business is something that I'm extraordinarily proud of. We've grown slowly and steadily. We've got a good team. We've got a good reputation. And that is my biggest business success. Okay. Were there, were there any particular learnings from that first five years that you... Um, yeah. I knew nothing and I'm still absolutely appalling at numbers. It's just not my strong suit. And quite honest, what happened was I from the beginning, essentially outsourced the numbers side of the business. I got an accountant in to look after all of it. And what it meant was that I didn't really have control over the business because I didn't really know what needed to happen to make it all work. knew overall, but I didn't know enough. I went through a divorce and my ex-husband was also the number one salesperson here at the time. And when he left... I took control back over of that side of the business and it changed everything. We went from we went to, we had our most profitable year the year after he left 
even though he was our number one performer. And that was a result of the fact, I believe, that I took back the numbers and I learned how to read a balance sheet and a spreadsheet and a profit and loss. Um, and it turned everything around. I know how this company runs to the dollar. I know every expense. I know what we have to earn. I know what we have to do. And I know how to make it happen. Yeah, you can't underestimate the, the importance of the numbers, can you? Oh, you can't. But I I didn't want to know them, you know, because it wasn't – and even now I struggle. I struggle to read it and understand it the best way. But I know what we need to do as a business now to make it work. But I still sit down with our financial controller every – when you sit down once a fortnight, I'm like, can you just make me understand this <laughs> bit a little bit better? It's just not what I'm good at, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm a property person. I'm not necessarily a, you know, I'm not great at reading spreadsheets. That's not what I do. I prospect and I buy real estate. Yeah. But it's a game changer. Yeah. And it was the biggest learning that I had. Yeah. Sympathise with that one. Mm. So how do you look to build the capability of your employees and your team? How do you build their capability? I'm very strong. I believe very much in accountability. So we have ideal weeks. We have KPIs. And I track them with all of our staff. I believe that if people can meet, and I work the KPIs that we set are delivered, we create them working in conjunction with our staff. We don't, I don't sit there and say, well, this is what you should do. What can you do, you know, and how can we then build on that? If someone can't meet their KPIs, I can't then give them more responsibility. But if they can meet their KPIs and I can see that and I'm tracking it, then I know that they're capable of doing more and that way we can build on what they're doing. I believe very much in um, additional education and particularly from resources outside of the real estate world. I think that what happens with us is that we get very, oh, it's such an insular, incestuous environment and you get used to just being around real estate agents. Or We're not real estate agents, I've got to say that, we're property advisors, but we're part of the same industry and so getting them to be around really inspirational and interesting people who are outside of the property sector I think is really important. We do as much as we can to try and educate them with those sorts of environments and in those sorts of arenas. Yeah, and you do that in a formal setting, like you send them away for certain things? Or... Yeah, a bit of everything. Um, a bit of everything. So we'll send them away to stuff. We'll um, have people come in. Um, we do a lot of in-house training as well scripts and dialogues um we do everything i mean we do as much as we can to try and I, i'm i'm the kind of in the way that i manage I'm a, I'm a perfectionist and i like everyone to dot their i's and cross their t's so if we're training we want to be able to get something really strong out of it and then i want to see that it can be implemented otherwise it's a bit of a waste i think a lot of companies spend a lot of money on training that nothing actually happens from it you would know this better oh, than absolutely. anyone. <laughs> so if we're going to do it, I need to make sure that, that it's transferable. Sometimes it's just a bit more of inspirational stuff that helps elevate people. Absolutely. So one of the things I know I mm. noticed in my dealings with leaders is a lot of them don't necessarily see themselves as uh, networkers mm. and as building a network. They mm -hmm. tend to think that's the role of you know, salespeople. Yeah. So how do you approach networking and why do you take that approach? <sighs> okay, and I, I was about to say I have never, ever, ever viewed myself as a networker either, but one of my really, really good friends, Sam Gaiman, who is the director of Chisman Gaiman, is the best networker I have ever, ever met. And he's, his business is half the time literally just lunching, but he is creates bonds and friendships and trust with people and it has built his business 
um, to a real powerhouse. So I don't underestimate the value in, in having a good, strong network. I don't think it's my strong suit. It's contrived when I have to do it. I have to plan to do it. But immediately after this meeting, I'm going to a networking lunch, okay. and I and I am I'm actually consciously trying to do more to build my network. Okay. Because I think it is important. Okay, and is that because you can see the impacts on the business growth? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. You. It's absolutely about who you know and how far you can get your tentacles out. It really is, and anyone who denies it is 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 making a, a very big mistake. Took me a while. It's not something I'm natural at, but it is absolutely fundamental to a successful business. Yeah. And so, have you made the choice to do sort of networking lunches as your yeah. way of doing it? Yeah. So I'm. I mean, I, my time is. I'm really busy. Really busy. So the only way that I have been able to do it is by having it structured. So, um, what I do is. Um, one day a week, which is a Friday, I dedicate to networking. So that might be a coffee in the morning, a lunch, drinks in the afternoon, sometimes it's dinners, but I make sure that that day is the day that I dedicate to networking. I try not to deviate from it too much because if I do, um, it means that it's too difficult on the constraints of my diary. But this, I pretty much dedicate all of the month of December to networking as well because it's the one time where I know that our industry is starting to relax a little bit. So there's not as much pressure on me in other areas. So I um, I mean, I'm out to lunch today, I'm out to lunch tomorrow. Networking and thanking the people that give you business. I have lots of clients that refer business to me and I make damn sure that they know how much I appreciate it. You uh, you mentioned earlier about getting some some business advice. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm also a big believer in is mentoring. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say those business people who are your mentors if you have uh, yeah definitely both mentors yeah and in fact one of them is now my business coach so I've really changed the way that I that I operate the way that I operate it so joining EO the entrepreneurs organization um, is a big thing for advice you know you're not allowed to network within that group you're not allowed to try and get business you can only go there to hear people's stories and share information um, I also put on a business coach to keep me accountable the role that you're in when you're a leader is really lonely because you have no one else to talk to and no one else can really give you advice. So I put on a coach because I needed someone to keep me in line and to keep me in check and accountable because I'm like anyone else. I can sit at my desk and then start looking at my Instagram account, you know. <laughs> I have those moments. And and then, yeah, I, I can't get constant mentorship from a very small select group of people that I trust and believe in and believe in their business philosophies. Okay. And is that a regular thing, once a fortnight, once a month, once a quarter? Yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit ad hoc. My mentor, who's now my business coach, is once a week. So that's, that's quite, yeah, regular. EO is once a month. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about the future. Mm-hmm. What does the, the future hold for you and what are you looking to, uh, goals you're trying to achieve? Uh, well, my goals for the next year are to grow the property management division. My long-term goal is to get 1,000 properties on the rent roll. That's a personal target that I'm really keen to get to. I brought in a business partner 12 months ago and he starts with the business full-time as of January next year. So... That will be nice to have someone sharing the load. But next year, because of his experience and what he brings to the table will mean that I can focus more on the business rather than within the business. And we'll be looking at creating new opportunities. We're doing a bit of a rebrand tweak 
not changing the brand, but just tweaking it and refreshing it. Um, we'll be looking at different ways to market our services. We're also looking at tapping into, we're not looking at, I mean, I'm speaking, it's making it sound very general. We know exactly what we're doing, but it will include targeting a higher end market for home buyers. Not that we want that to exclusively be what we're doing, but we want to certainly have a piece of that pie. And then, quite frankly, just keeping this team together and working efficiently and effectively. I'm not about trying to change the world or reinvent the wheel, but keeping it going along as smoothly as possible is really important while still progressing. We don't ever want to be behind the eight ball. And how do you continue your development as a leader? Well, that's what I joined EO for. Yeah, that was one of the, the major reasons why I joined EO. It's because it's very difficult and also because your time pause. So, you know, finding time to self-develop is, is near to impossible. EO has um, annual events whereby, I mean, you go to places like Google and um, NASA and, you know, all of these wonderful places and you meet with some of the best leaders in the world. Um, so joining this organisation has been able to open me up to a whole new, whole new environment of inspiring fascinating, wonderful leaders in their own industries. They're all in different industries, which is what I think makes it good. And talking about industries, what uh, challenges do you think your industry sector is going to face? Uh, the same one it faces every year, and that is the media telling us that the market's going to drop out. As I, I think I mentioned, we opened during the GFC, which was not on purpose. It just happened that way. And, of course, when you're buying property for people, Everyone thought we were crazy, like, why are you going to buy property for people when, you know, the markets? What it meant for us was that we ended up just buying for different people who we expected to be buying for. So those who weren't heavily geared in shares and who cash reserves were snapping up all of these properties. So the markets that we were buying in did not go backwards at all. In fact, there wasn't even a dip. It just plateaued for 12 to 18 months. And I suspect that it unless we have some major change to our economy or some significant interest rate rises, we're going to continue not in the same upward trajectory that we've had, but a slow and consistent steady pace. If there is a huge change to the market, I still don't believe that the areas that I buy in are going to be adversely affected. People will still buy and sell real estate. People still need a house, a roof over their head. But our biggest issue is always um, changes to tax reform and interest rate rises, and that's not, never going to change. I also think that there's, and it's always been bubbling on in the background, that the idea that you can remove people from property or real estate, you know, buy a house using an online application and all this kind of stuff. I think it's really naive to think that a computer can do what a trained negotiator can do for you, eyeballing someone. But, you know, this is also another thing that's going to continue to rumble in the background of the real estate and property advisory services. Yeah. And, and as a leader, how do you counter that media perception with your team? Um, we just talk about it. I mean, every time we see an article or something comes across my table that's relating to it, I share it with the office and then tell them what I think. You know, so if they're aware of it before people start asking them questions, well, then they're always going to feel like they're in a sense of power and strength because they can talk with authority. And knowledge is power. If you know what you're talking about and you know it before everyone else brings it up to you, I guarantee you the first thing any client asks me in a meeting is, what do you think is going to happen to the property market? 
been saying it for the last 10 years. <laughs> but, yeah, that's how we counter it. We make sure that our, that our staff know exactly what could potentially come their way and then they can handle any question with strength. Okay. And are there any particular leaders that you look up to and, and if so, why? Um, I love Cheryl Sandberg and she's with Facebook. She's a woman and she is strong but she's still feminine. She believes... She believes in equality, but where equality is, is deserved, yeah. you know, and I think that's really important. Um, Tonya Davidson is my business coach, and she was the first woman who really inspired me in property. She was the first agent to ever gross a million dollars in sales commissions, and this was nearly 15 years ago. So she's she is a, f- a fantastic leader, and she's very organised. She's about routine and repetition and creating habits. She's fantastic. My father is someone that I look up to very much, ran a very successful business and he was a good man and kind to the people that worked with him and, yeah, they're probably the most most important in my life. Okay. Mm. And so if people want to find out more about you and Infolio, what's, where should they look? They should go to our website, which is www.infolio.com.au. You can find out. There's a lot of information on my profile and who I am and also the company and the services all listed on there. Of course, they're more than welcome to give me a call as well. All right. And any last words on leadership? (laughs) Think long and hard before you take it on. (laughs) No, it's, you know what, it's empowering and it's fantastic and... Um, but it's hard, hard work. It might look exciting being right at the top and leading people, but you need to be on your game all the time. All right. Well, thanks, Lauren, for being part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.